0: Welcome to Coaching Culture, the podcast where we discuss how we can use sports and not let them use us. I'm J.P. Nervin, the founder of Thrive On Challenge, and the mission for this podcast is to connect leaders in athletics, to help us create a transformational culture by building leadership and character. Now let's get started. Welcome to episode 28, Creating a Safe Culture, with my guest, Trevor Reagan from TrainUgly.com. The next four episodes, Trevor and I are going to be discussing various elements of building culture. Be sure to subscribe at ThriveOnChallenge.com to my weekly newsletter if you want to get the coaching notes for this podcast and all future podcasts. Now today, Trevor and I are going to be discussing briefly his business, TrainUgly.com, before we move into discussing how we as coaches can create a safe learning environment. One that balances skills of proficiency versus skills of creativity. Trevor is going to give us a very practical process uh, for teaching skills while maintaining that safe environment, that safe culture. All right, here's my conversation
1: with Trevor. All right, Trevor, it's great to have you on the podcast. Can you tell us all a little bit about your
2: background and what you do? Uh, Little background and what I do. Uh, I run a website company called train and i do two i think important things with that company one i learn a lot of principles about learning and i find interesting ways to share that with anyone who will listen um ways i share i make videos i write articles and i hit the road and do like in-person workshops with lots of different groups so the idea is learn as much as i can about learning and then share it as much as i possibly can because i think some of these principles can be pretty important and pretty helpful a long time ago uh i was on the same mission but at that time it was just like a super small blog that i started i was living in my mom's basement and i'd (laughs) say for about the first year and a half about 10 people would read my blog post and eight of them were related to me (laughs) <laughs> uh-huh. but uh, like after a while it started to pick up some traction and I started to make better stuff. One thing led to another and now I'm here. It's my full time job and I don't live in my mom's basement anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> train ugly. I mean, I remember it five years very early, really honestly. I feel like was, I, had, I had a coach in Ireland. I moved over here and I don't even remember the exact moment, but I ran across it, but that train ugly has a really profound message.
2: Um, Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So I guess like the the name is just a play on like, look, if you dig into the research of learning, you see like most of the time the best learning and development happens if we're spending a little time out of our comfort zone and right at the edge of our abilities. Like that's across the board, that's where we're gonna learn the best. Now the, the thing is if we spend time at the edge of our abilities and out of our comfort zone that's going to lead to more struggle, more challenges, more obstacles, more mistakes. And the truth is, those are the things that really help us grow and get better. So we always say, like, getting better isn't always pretty, that we have to be down for the struggle and down to move through those challenges and obstacles. And that's where we really earn the skills and outcomes and goals that we're pursuing. So it's, it's just kind of like changing that perception of what learning looks like. And and to be honest with you, I think it's just a reminder because I think out of the box, we <laughs> get this, we know this, it, but it's kind of conditioned out of us. So I think most of these principles that we teach and talk about, it's like more of just a reminder. Like when we were kids, we were great at this. Like we would make lots of mistakes and put ourselves into lots of new situations. But as we get older, um, the fixed mindset stories kick in, fear kicks in. And the learning process gets a lot tougher. So it's just kind of a reminder. I mean,
1: for me in Ireland, that was my, a lot of train, ugly ground. And I felt like I developed it the most as a coach when it came to teaching the game. I would teach and coach maybe five different teams throughout the course of the season because it. they practiced two, three times. And the beauty was nobody really knew what good basketball was or good basketball <laughs> coaching or felt like they knew it, right? So I could get away with really bad coaching, uh, but yet I was able to try out so many different things in that environment where I felt if I was in an environment like most coaches in America, which is to grow up where you're part of the system, you're trying to work your way up. I mean, in Ireland, it was like, he's American, he must know everything about basketball. (laughs) So
2: I got away with it. I could try all these crazy things out,
1: and it was just a very unique situation where I could grow as a coach.
2: Yeah, and I just want to add to that. It's like, we're not saying to be reckless. We're not saying to, like, just go not care about being good or any of that. It's saying if we're going to get good, there has to be room for experimentation and trial and error. It's like we're not, again, we're not failing on purpose. We're trying our best. But understanding that sometimes when we run these experiments, it flops. And when it flops, it's a great opportunity to grow. And to be in a safe place where we can do that, that's priceless. So it's the idea of, of the safe
1: environment, that's, that's huge, right? I know, Daniel, yes, a, you mentioned in one of your books, on your book list, uh, Culture Code by Daniel Coyle, which is yep. one of my favorites, honestly, lately. And he talks about skills of proficiency and skills of creativity there. Yep. And honestly, uh, I think that I really would like to for you to share a little bit what you think he kind of – to elaborate on that. Sure. Um, because I think that's very hard to distinguish. You know, in your right. sport, obviously it, it differs by sport, right? Um, yep. But how much should we be focus- focusing on the proficiency and then the creativity skill?
2: So I think it, this is tough. So Culture Code, I think, might be one of the top five books I've ever read in my life. Like unreal and agree. <laughs> and like the the safety component is like arguably one of the most important topics that anyone could really try to take to heart. It's like we have to feel safe in order to perform well. We have to feel safe in order to learn. We have to feel safe in order to run experiments to get out of our comfort zone. It's like kind of like box number one. Um, and then that that third section that you talked about, um, I think in applying it to sports, it's a little messier. Like I think his angle and his examples in that section – had a lot to do with, like, uh, companies, where if that's a little more clear-cut. It's like a restaurant, we're trying to be proficient. Like, we have dishes, and we need them to be consistent and, like, just the same all the time. That's what we're looking for. Where maybe a different company, like a marketing company, design company, they're really uh, designed for more, like, creativity and, like, Coming up with novel ideas and new approaches and in which case maybe the tactics to build that type of culture are a little bit different. Safety is important in both. The way I think about sports is it's like we're kind of blending the two that, um, a big part of the process, regardless of the sport we coach is we all need to develop coaches, players across the board develop as individuals and as a team and development in a big way, involves lots of creativity and experimentation, trial and error. We want players in practice maybe trying out new positions and getting reps and opportunities way out of their comfort zone and providing them a safe place to do that. But then the other side is also true that when we lace up and the scoreboard's on and it's Friday night, it's like we're kind of looking for consistency and proficiency. Like We want to put our best foot forward, in which case like maybe – uh, there's less experimentation, but we're still, and I think this is important, we're still approaching that competition as an opportunity to grow. Where maybe in practice, it's like, hey, if, if you're, if we're talking about basketball, like, uh, the big guy ends up in the perimeter, like, let's let them take it to the rack and get some reps dribbling and penetrating, maybe that they wouldn't normally get. Maybe in the game, uh, if we're, obviously trying to compete and win, that's maybe not the best time for that. But the more opportunities we give them in practice to do that, that's prepping them for that, to do to do it in an actual game. So to me, sports is a blend of the two. And I think understanding them is important, where maybe in practice there's a little more freedom, it's a little more chill, it's a little more, hey, we welcome and encourage experimentation, Again, we're not trying to be reckless, but we do want to give you lots and lots of good reps out of your comfort zone. Where in the game, it's like, okay, we have our positions, we have sort of our rules. Um, we're not going to be robotic, but we're going to do our best to like stay within those roles, play to our strengths, lace it up, and go compete and try to win this thing. And then for the other four days of the week, we're back in the lab, experimenting, growing, and getting better. So. There's a TED Talk about this called, like, the performance zone and learning zone. And my, like, little critique on that would be even when we're in a performance zone, it's actually best to treat it as an opportunity. So even when we're trying to compete and we really, really want to win, if we go into that competition thinking, like, this is an opportunity for me to grow, this is an opportunity for me to play a game that I love, this is an opportunity for me to kind of face a challenge, uh, dance with my fear, and, and get better, like I will learn and perform better than, oh, crap, this is performance time. I have to be really good now.
1: You know, one, one other question I is when the proficiency, let's use a basketball example um, here. Say okay. it's, it's, you know, I'm beating an offender by dribbling. Well, there's some basic fundamentals of what you want to teach, and I think that really comes down to the proficiency, like, of hard dribbles, you know, usually, you know, low dribbles, eyes up, these types of things are the yep. fundamentals that I feel like you need to be drilling, drilling almost into people, but then also giving them the creativity that helps them to really, you know, and this is, I think it comes down a little bit of the isolation, like, you know, one on zero, doing moves on chairs isn't great, but by giving them creativity through some different small sided games, um, yep. they can develop different ways to beat the defender
2: while Mm -hmm. still using those fundamentals. Sure. So here's how we blend it. And I and there's no, like, concrete, this is exactly how to do it yet. But there are science, there's principles from science that we can use and try to deploy. And so here's how we would blend it. If we were going to teach a group of basketball players that maybe didn't have the fundamentals quite yet, but we want to teach that, we would start with video. Uh, so finding some video of, say the skill we're teaching is like, how to get around someone off the dribble. We would collect some video and show them some video. And even within the video, we blend a bit. So maybe some of the video will be like NBA players, like LeBron or whatever doing those moves. And that's kind of cool for them to see like, wow, look at those moves. It's even better, say if I'm working with a group of fifth graders, if I can find some video of seventh graders, it's even more powerful because they see more of themselves in that video than if it's like okay. LeBron doing the move. And yeah. so this is actually creates a bit more ignition of like, wow, that person kind of looks like me, they're kind of like me, and they learn this move. So one with the video is it creates a little ignition. And then the conversation we have during the video and immediately after is, why do you think learning this skill would be important? And we just asked that after showing them the video. And I think that the intent there is to create a bit more engagement of they see it in action. They see, well, if you're good at going around people, and there's lots of different ways of doing it, like that's a super valuable skill. And so kind of guiding them to that uh, answer and that idea of this skill matters, I can learn it, then the conversation is what do you guys think are like the three most broad, like, uh, we call them skill keys. So like in going around someone, what are the like three consistent things that we need to do? Um, we have three in our head that we try to guide them to, but it's kind of fun to let them stumble around. But what we're trying to get at is we want to change speed, change direction, uh, can't remember the second one. And then, like, the third was, like, explode. So kind of like what you were talking about. It's like, what are, like, the fundamental things to get around someone? Yeah. Um, it doesn't really matter what they are. It's just, like, identifying them as a group. So now we have our skill keys Based off the video, based off conversation. Then we let them go try it out one on zero for a little bit. And we walk around the gym and, and see them like trying this, change speed, change direction. How can you do that? Okay, uh, try a crossover in front, try between the legs. All, of, all moves are essentially just a combo of changing speed and changing direction. So we're giving them freedom to test it and some time with no defense to just see what it's like. Another effective thing to do during this stage um, of the one-on-zero is video as well, videoing them. Uh, there's apps you can get on your iPad with video delay, so you can film them for a couple of minutes, have them watch, and ask them, are you changing speed? Are you changing direction? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? I think it's helpful to show them a couple moves and show them how, regardless of the move, look, we're still doing these keys that we talked about. So five, 10 minutes, one on zero, letting them experiment, maybe showing them some moves, Letting them get the hang of what it looks like and feels like. Then, it's usually best to put them into more of like a game-like situation. Now we're not saying like roll the balls out and just play five on five, but putting in, putting them into some like one-on-one situations and creating a safe place for them to experiment I think is, uh, useful. And so we, we have a lot of games where we set up like just kind of a, a one-on-one series where they get to play against different people. Um, Sometimes there's mismatches, sometimes there's not, and it's just giving them live looks at, okay, can we use those skills we developed in this more random environment? Are they going to be perfect? No. But what's going to happen is they're starting to deploy this idea of what this move looks like and feels like in a more game-like setting, and giving them the freedom and time to spend a lot, a lot of reps there is super valuable. Now it doesn't mean we stop coaching and it doesn't mean we uh, stop talking about the fundamentals. We do those things and we film as well, but we're just giving them the freedom to experiment and try it with a live defender. And we've done this sort of progression with lots of different groups of all skill levels and teaching different things and from the looks of it, it seems like progress gets made, the kids have more fun, and they're learning it in, I think, a more creative and random environment. It's more like the game. I think that's more effective, and there's some, a lot of science that would support that. But again, there's, this, there's a time and a place for the teaching, the fundamentals, the building of that skill, figuring out what it looks like and feels like. And there's not like a shot clock on that of, after three minutes, you must stop. But I would say that that amount of time spent there is a little bit less than maybe we think, and it's usually best to get them into the more one-on-one or two-on-two, uh even some three-on-three situations where they get looks and opportunities to deploy the skill there.
1: You know, I, I would also, when I was in my backyard, I would be playing, I would actually... You know, Forget about the trash can. I would just sit there and imagine I was playing a game, actually, in my head. And I would deep visualization, actually. Uh, I was literally playing the whole game out in my head. But I really feel like that visualization of as I'm doing moves, of being in the game and imagining defenders, I mean, I think there's a lot of evidence that supports that as well, that the, the, the benefits of visualization to develop the skill.
2: And, and that's a big reason that we have the video at the start of that progression. It's just like... Yeah. When I watch and I'm really staring and, and I see a move on TV and I, like, visualize it and figure out, like, what, am I, what are, like, those body parts doing and really think about that, that's going to help me initially, like, in this process. But then again, I, I, I got to go earn that skill, too, through reps. Like, visualization is a great primer, and then I yeah. got to go get the actual reps on a defender and mess up a few times and be bad at the move in the process of getting good at the move. Like That's just how it works. And visualization can help in all of those steps, the before, the during, and continuing to like, refine the move as well.
0: So much great stuff in that conversation with Trevor that is not only interesting but really applicable. Just a few thoughts. First, Trevor makes a great point about the art of applying the science, the principle, How we apply the science is an art. We have to develop that art. And I think we do that through copying the greats, stealing from others, and a process of failing, revising, failing, revising. Secondly, he discusses the performance zone, and he makes a great point about how we have to continue to see, or we have to start seeing, the performance zone as the learning zone. Our language must be intentional to help promote that growth mindset. Thirdly, he makes a great point about using video of someone doing it right, and not just someone, but someone the players can relate to, not just some big-time NBA player, but someone close in their age and potentially even in their ability. In general, I think we spend way too much of our time in sports going over the film of the mistakes instead of things being done correctly. And lastly, I love his student-centered player-centered approach towards teaching. It is training ugly. It requires us as coaches to sacrifice control and being okay with it not looking good because we are out of our comfort zone working on the edge of our abilities. All right, that's it for this episode. Be sure to go to thriveonchallenge.com and subscribe to the weekly newsletter to get the coaching notes PDF for this podcast.